Kale, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. Uh, always great to catch up with you. Awesome. Well, uh, I'm going to introduce us really quickly, and then we're just going to jump right in, if that's all right with you. Perfect. All right. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the IDCA to Infinity Paradigm and Beyond podcast, where we bring the most recognized faces and thought leaders of the technology industry and have candid discussions on topics pertaining to digital transformation, cloud, cybersecurity, data centers, infrastructure, and more. Uh, and this time, as you've already heard, I'm joined by Mike Kale, former CIO and CTO and currently CTO of Everest.org. Um, Mike, before we get into the technical part of the discussion, I always like to get uh, a personal uh, comment uh, on, on the life of the people that uh, I'm talking to. Tell me a little bit about, and, and you know, I, it's unfair for me because I'm fairly familiar with what you like to do with your free time. Um, but uh, the audience probably isn't. So tell me a little bit about what you like to do when you're not working. Sure. So uh, married with two boys, ages 10 and 7. So I spend a lot of time on the soccer pitch with our oldest son, uh, training or at his matches. Uh, personally, I like to stay reasonably healthy. So I have a Peloton spin bike in my home office. So I try to work out uh, daily and keep up with that, that ever-growing community and amazing business that John Foley's built. Mm -hmm. uh, and then just some non-technical reading every now and then, and uh, as well as obviously spending time with my wife um, so we can keep the family together. So I think yeah. between that and, and Everest, uh, it's definitely a full challenging schedule. No, I, I believe it. And, and I see the pictures. And uh, I, what, I, what I was just realizing that I know that uh, Peloton has been a bigger part of your um, exercise regimen recently. Are you not running as much as you were before? Uh, I would classify, classify myself as a hobby jogger or Got it. everything I always said I would never become back when I was <laughs> somewhat fast <laughs> and, and running uh, uh, at a low level of competition that, yeah. uh, you know, I never would run slower than seven minutes per mile at that time. And now it's like, oh, seven minute would be a, a great race. So yeah, yeah. Uh, getting well, know, old, getting old is not friendly to anyone. It's not for the weak of heart. I'm telling you. <laughs> Literally, it is not for the weak of heart. So as so, one, of my, one of my friends yeah. said, right now I'm using the Peloton because it's a great workout and I'm just trying to slow down the slowing down process. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and that's one of the reasons why we got a pool, um, besides the fact that, uh, you know, it's hot, of the, hot, of the, hot as the surface of the sun here for three months out of the year in Vegas. Um, but the pool gives me a kind of a no excuses way to get to, um, a low impact but high value workout uh, on a fairly regular basis. So the pool has become my um, my backup gym, for lack of a better description. Yeah, good stuff. Well, so I, today we decided to talk a little bit about security, and certainly the um, the recent Marriott security breach uh, has been um, on everybody's mind, um, only because it's one of the most recent. I just heard another one. Uh, I think it was this morning about uh, 52 million um, uh, uh, people's identity information being released by Google Plus. I don't know if you saw that yet. Um, so, you know, this, this uh, is unfortunately, this kind of story is very much on people's minds. So, you know, thinking about what you're doing now, what you've done in the past, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, one of the comments you made in our back and forth earlier about uh, centralized versus decentralized. And concepts such as self-sovereign uh, identity. Uh, you know, let's uh, get into that. Just 
just start wherever you feel you'd like to. So I, first, I did see the Google Plus additional breach news due to API security issues, which is, yep. I guess, not surprising in today's day and age. I think, yep. unfortunately, we've all become numb to the number of identities or the amount of data lost. I think right. at this point, we, you have to just, unfortunately, deal with the fact that your personal data and identity is out there and it's been lost. And we have to flip the paradigm on its head. And as I was chatting with Jeremiah Grossman on Twitter yesterday, we need to take a zero trust approach to this. So assume every, the bad guys have your data. What, what can we and other companies do to protect that? Uh, and, That's a great question. Yep. And it's obvious from, from the Marriott issues and breach to Equifax to, to, all of the other ones that have happened in the past that a centralized approach and storing of data is not working. Whether they have encryption or not, it doesn't seem like people manage encryption keys properly or have proper hygiene around how they approach encryption. Uh, and then they have no mechanism of detecting when the breach happens and how yep. long it occurred and, and actually how much data was really lost. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, the concept that is driven in part by the technology that is uh, ubiquitously known as blockchain, which is a broad level term, uh, is about decentralization. And so I think about moving away from centralized databases or stores of identity in your personal data to decentralization and you actually owning your own personal data, which is the concept of self-sovereign identity that I'm personally responsible for and own it. And if you look at regulations such as GDPR in the EU, I have the right to erasure and the right to be forgotten. And so now I put the, the responsibility in each person's hands to maintain their identity data and the security thereof. Uh, and I'm not saying that will be a perfect world. We will still have the challenges around managing encryption keys uh, and I think Vince Cerf talked about this at the Constellation event the other day, like the, the biggest challenge will be around key management, uh, which right. is very similar to password management or, or the hygiene problems we've had with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, uh, just the idea. Uh, I mean, I, I apologize if you weren't uh, quite done yet. I'm, I'm just cutting in here. But um, so I feel uh, even though security is not my first um, line of expertise uh, from an IT standpoint, probably not even my 10th. Uh, I'm, I'm more of a, a interested observer than an expert on security. But I've always thought that the opportunity associated, associated with um, blockchain uh, from the earliest days, uh, assuming it, it was realized as a, as a, uh, a, you know, truly deployable, usable, manageable technology was on uh, personal identification, because it seems to me, and you know, going back to your point about self-sovereign and uh, and distributed, it seems to me that a that and I really would love your feedback. You can tell me I'm stupid. I'm 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 used to it, um, but it really seems to me that blockchain potentially provides that opportunity not only for that distributed um, and self-sovereign ownership of your ID, but in a sense, it almost makes it worthless for someone who isn't you to have your traditional methods or, 
or formats of identification. Does that make sense? It does. I think blockchain is one component of a defense in-depth strategy. And the approach that we're taking at Everest around self-sovereign identity is we're not storing your personal data uh, on-chain. And, yeah. and we're, for those who understand blockchain, we're a permissioned Ethereum chain with okay. proof, proof of authority consensus, which means there's no mining. You have authority nodes that, that handle the ceiling and the, you still have some, some challenges around that, but you remove uh, the transaction per second problem of proof of stake or proof of work consensus algorithms. Uh, but back to then data. So we're storing then your, what we call the datagram, which is your biome biom biometric data, as well as your demographic data picture, a government ID, health card, anything else in uh, an encrypted store in IPFS, the interplanetary file system, which is once again distributed and can be owned and operated by different entities outside of just us at Everest. Got so it. now it's very difficult. So now I have to, in order to access your data, I have to figure out how to steal your biometric authentication and we're doing layers, uh, facial and fingerprint to start with and looking at palm and voice to layer in. Yep. Plus then I have to know where you, that IPFS cluster is located and have your private key to be able to decrypt it. So there's yep. multiple steps. So somebody can't go to whomever's hosting an IPFS cluster, steal a server or, or set of disks and figure out and how to decrypt that and figure out whose data is that. So right, it becomes right. much more daunting and much less valuable than the centralized approaches where I just, I take everything and it's all stored together. So that's, yeah. the, that's the distributed decentralized approach, which uh, will still have security challenges as everything does, but I feel like it's um, steps above what we're doing today. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um, it's always been disconcerting to me that um, that pieces of identification that have no uh, relationship to you other than the fact that they are in theory accurate records of who you are, um, but otherwise have no direct connection. They don't cause blood to flow if they're used. They don't um, they don't make your eyes spin. I mean, I'm being stupid, but um, you know they they are effectively online no different than if somebody had stole your old security or social security card in the 50s and used it as an id right and 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 nobody had any way to validate whether that person carrying that social security number was actually the the right person and um and so what you're talking about i mean it, it sounds I'm, I'm trying to make it sound uh, uh, simpler than it probably is but in effect what you're saying is that it, it, from a layman's point of view, if I was to come across the border with a passport that I had somehow magically managed to put, um, it's your passport and I've managed to put my face on it, um, the ability for the border security to catch me is because they match that um, passport, regardless of what the picture is, to a set of fingerprints or something like that. And so what you're saying, in effect, is, is to be able to do that with the ID almost all the time in real time. Right. Uh, 
Exactly. And going back to your 1950s social security card example, we're not that much yeah. better today. If you I think know. About, that's what scares me. That's what scares me, dude. I, I mean, not to, not to t- play a fear, uncertainty, and doubt um, story here, but if you think about if somebody steals your identity, how do you prove you're actually you? Like how many of us still have our original social security card, which is no picture ID on it. It doesn't really matter. Your birth certificate doesn't have any real biometric data attached to it. Uh, And I think I may have a copy somewhere. Uh, So then you have your, your driver's license or real ID or passport and then some other data. But if somebody clones that, uh, you know, and, and has a successful civil attack, how do I regain control of my identity? Yeah, like that's yeah. actually a real problem. Like the, the attestation challenge is real. And I'm surprised it hasn't, I'm glad it hasn't been more prevalent than it is. Um, but I think yeah. that those days are coming. Well, and it's, you know, I've, I've read enough stories about how um, the biggest part of the problem in many cases for someone whose ID has been stolen is that they can spend months just attempting to prove that the other me wasn't me. And in the meantime, the other me is still spending your money and still racking up debts or bankruptcies. And, um, and there's nothing you can do about it. And, and it's just, it's, it's crazy. Right. Um, it, it really is. And, 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 the, you know, so I, I'm with you, generally speaking, I'm one of the people that like to go out and remove fear, uncertainty and doubt. And both of us in our writings have, have done that, a number of times in blogs and, and, and in other formats, but um, really, I don't think you can overplay uh, how traditional security, as most of us do it today, uh, uh, from a personal security standpoint uh, online, is, is just next to being worthless as far as a protection mechanism is concerned. Uh, and that's, that's really unfortunate. So, you know, taking that and realizing that um, you know, a majority of the people that might be listening to this podcast are thinking about it from an enterprise perspective. Um, how, do, how do we relate this to some of the common problems that uh, IT organizations and, and their, um, their greater business have worried about for years, which is the, the notion of, you know, supplying access to applications, uh, doing it across countries, managing the integration of new people and or temporary people, um, uh, how, how, do, how does what you're working on or, you know, the, the risks you see in, in the modern security strategy, how do they play into that concern? So in general, security and identity have, have two components, uh, the well-known authentication piece and yep. the lesser thought about authorization component. Uh, so I think a lot of enterprises understand authentication and, and grant users or roles or systems uh, unfettered authentication to other components without having an authorization strategy, meaning can you or or something access what you're trying to access and moving to a finer level of granularity. Uh, And and that's difficult to maintain. You think about, uh, you know, multiple layers and, you know, back to the old firewall days, somebody always put in the, the ACL rule of allow any, any, because yes. something wasn't working and they needed it to work and that was an yep. easy fix. Yep. The same goes with providing identity access to systems or data. It's like, okay, you know, Mark needs access to this critical database. He's got a deadline or this deals, you know, falling apart. 
Uh, so let's just give them unfettered access. Yeah. Uh, Mark leaves the company. That account still exists. Somebody gets his credentials and no one notices. Yep. Then you have Equifax or Marriott yep. or, or the like. Yep. So I think you have to take a continuous uh, view about authorization and, and audits need to be a continuous exercise, not a quarterly compliance checkbox. And I think this somewhat fits in with, with IDCA's infinity paradigm. Oh, I, well, I appreciate you bringing that up because if you hadn't, I would have, but um, uh, I would like to just talk, uh, add on to that a little bit. So, you know, you think about the complexity associated with managing modern IT in general. And uh, if, we, if we were to go back even 20 years, um, security would seem like a, a cakewalk as compared to how we have to worry about security today, just as a, as a division of, of responsibility within the IT sphere and the overall corporate sphere of governance, um, security is so much more of a burden than it was in the past. And so, you know what, when I, one of the reasons I joined the Infinity uh, Paradigm effort as the chairman for the technical committee was this notion that I always have believed, maybe not always, but certainly for the majority of my career, that we don't do a very good job of owning IT, right? We, we are very good at putting things in. We're very good at identifying um, problem-solving opportunities and reasonably good at putting the actual solution in place. But we're very poor, generally speaking, of owning those solutions. And I'll describe what I mean by owning. Um, and then overall, owning all of IT. And so that to, to kind of help position that a little bit more, when I think of owning, I think of, you know, it's like a, a, a puppy. Well, you could get a puppy and, and you could bring it home and you could have it and you could not feed it. You could not take it outside. You could not take it to the vet and you'd have a stinky house and a dead puppy in about 10 days. Um, uh, but if you own the puppy, you're feeding it, you're grooming it, you're taking it for walks, you're cleaning up after it, you're taking it to the vet, et cetera, et cetera. And that's owning. And, and, you know, I, I'd love to get your feedback in general. Uh, and I think it goes to the, to the point, cause I, I've made several firewall examples myself um, in the past, um, but it goes to the point of this ownership idea, right? To me, the infinity paradigm helps a, a customer of, uh, really value what they have in IT as it relates to the business and as it relates to what the business actually needs at that time and how to measure and manage it. And, and so in thinking about that, in my long-winded uh, you know, explanation, um, how, how do you see that as being important to the role of security today? Well, I think it goes back to, first it goes back to what we talked about, um, your pool or my Peloton. Yeah, you could yeah. you could install the pool and never use it, so then you're not gaining any benefit uh, of fitness and hygiene and you know health hygiene. Right. The same goes for IT and security. You know you can deploy a firewall or some solution IT or security, but if you don't have pride in ownership and maintain that continuously and and do the care and feeding, you're going to have issues and, you know, then you'll build up the quote unquote technical debt or security debt yep. and then keep layering on other solutions onto a very shaky foundation. Right. And then right. as you, you know, and as that topples over, I think it results in, in the mega breaches that we've seen or just mega outages even. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's hugely important. I mean, that the, 
and we've talked about that in in other venues as well sort of as a it's not I wouldn't say it's orthogonal to our conversation. Uh, I would say it's actually kind of an underlying core theme. And that's this notion that um, we already do a poor job of owning the solutions we have. And then we do an even poorer job of determining how a new system uh, potentially impacts the old system or affects our ability to monitor and manage the older systems or define um, issues relative to the new complexity. And, um, and so, you know, thinking about that, because, you know, it's easy for me to talk about it. It's, frankly, it's easy for you to talk about that. But um, realistically, if, if you or I were to give people, you know, uh, five seconds of advice on how to try to avoid that, other than saying you need to go out and get the infinity paradigm, you need to follow it to the letter, which is likely to be helpful. Um, but the, you know, what would you tell someone? Because it's, we you and I have both been through the same problem. And admittedly, uh, one of the organizations you worked with for a while was, was ultra modern in the way it dealt with IT. But for the vast majority of us, it seems like almost everything we do is just in time, right? Just in time with just the minimum amount of, of, of appropriate resources and kind of the way the government builds new highways. They get funding for the new lanes and they don't get funding to support the new lanes that they've put in. Um, uh, how do you see IT organizations trying to fight through that? I think as we've had several Twitter chats about, you have to get away from the tactical how into the strategic why and tie yeah. it to uh, both business initiatives, current and future and outcomes and measure and report upon those in a continuous manner. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, IT becomes somewhat apologetic and beaten down and, and then you have morale problems and people are not incentivized to have strategic solutions. Yeah. And so the leadership needs to continually communicate that uh, about why you're doing something and that it's not ever done. It's right. always a continuous evolution. Like you're never 100% secure or 100% resilient. There's always places to improve via automation and, and better insights. And I think taking, you have to, you know, the, the winning hearts and minds and convincing hearts and minds has to take that approach. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And it's, it's, um, uh, and again, this may not be perfect, uh, um, analogy or comparison or, you know, situational, um, uh, uh, information, but it just seems to me that, uh, most of what we do in it historically, uh, you know, speaking of the broader we um, in IT is, is treating symptoms. And we're rarely ever, um, you know, getting to the root. And you mentioned the why. And, you know, obviously, we've had those conversations and, and we're both vociferous supporters of the idea of getting to the why before you make a major investment in time or effort for something new. Um, but it's, it's also this problem that, you know, whether it's from a leadership messaging standpoint or a technology adoption and use strategy standpoint or, or lack of a strategy, which is, I guess, a strategy in and of itself, um, the, this notion that um, we're most often treating the visible symptoms rather than the underlying, um, for lack of a better term, rot that's occurring uh, seems to be a big part of the problem. Uh, would you agree with that? I mean, any suggestions? 
Yeah, I think if you're running around trying to put fingers into holes spouting in the dike, you only have 10 fingers, and there will certainly be more than 10 holes. Yeah. And then you let something go. It goes back to what I said about if you start building on a shaky foundation, you know, it'll topple over at some point. Right, right. So then you have to step back. um, And while I'm not a fan of the term, there's some bimodality bimodality to this yeah where you have to maintain your current revenue generating systems while you determine where you want to get to and and how do you have a strategy to bridge across that onto the onto the new more resilient solution yeah and and uh, you know it's it's a it's a hard thing to do and i've done it um uh, uh twice at least in a in a, from a major um, move standpoint, I've done it twice in my career uh, as an IT leader where I've literally gone to my executive team and said, folks, um, I need your support. We're going to be doing this, this, and this over the next three to four months. Uh, and I need your support uh, at the customer level, a customer internal customer level. Uh, and I need your support for the fact that we are likely to not be as responsive to certain traditional um, issues that you might uh, normally think we would be running to your office for. Um, but uh, all of this is under the promise that on the other side of that um, three or four months, we'll be doing more, we'll be doing it faster, and uh, we'll be doing it with more resilience and, 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 a, and improved customer experience. And admittedly, that messaging and building the strategy that supports the success of that mes- messaging is no easy feat. Um, I can remember several times during the course of one of those two activities where I thought, do I really want to do this again? Because this is a lot of freaking work. Um, but it's that kind of honesty and open um, effort to get cooperation from the executive team that I think is the only way to get past the whole um, firefighting thing, as you described. Because one of the directors that had come in through an acquisition and uh, I'd been moved up to a different position after the acquisition, and she'd taken over a lot of the stuff that I was doing from an infrastructure standpoint. And I stopped her in the hall one day, and I said, uh, I won't use her real name. Uh, uh, we'll just call her Debbie. I said, Debbie, um, it really seems like we've been chasing our tails a lot recently. There's been a lot of running around, but we're not making progress on the real activity of integrating the two companies at the infrastructure level. And she goes, I'm too busy right now fighting fires. I can't talk to you about this stuff. That was her answer. I just told her you're fighting fires too much. And her answer was, I'm too busy to talk to you about fighting fires because I'm fighting fires. And I was dumbfounded. Yeah, I don't have a, (laughs) I don't have an eloquent, (laughs) not safe for work response to that one. Yeah, yeah. But I think uh, what I was going to talk about is the cultural aspect. I think IT in general has to get out of this uh, redheaded stepchild mentality and this yeah. us versus them. And I think right. the culture of DevOps has done has helped that a bit in progressive companies. Yeah. And I think that needs to even continually evolve. And you know, we've talked in the past about DevSecOps and that IT yep. needs to be completely enmeshed into the entire business. It's not some org that you go to when you need something and you place an order and they fulfill it. Right. Uh, It's, I mean, technology is ingrained in everyone's lives, whether they're a technologist or not now. 
Yeah. And that yeah. IT needs to take the same approach and frankly, stop feeling sorry for themselves. And this, I'm too busy fighting fires. I have too much on my plate. It is, is just a, an easy soundbite to not actually do something. Right. Right. Which is no. why we have to measure performance. And yeah. I'm not talking yeah. about stack ranking and KPIs. It's like, yeah initiatives versus outcomes and where where are we falling short and what do we need to do versus blaming people or or initiatives right yeah no totally agree so uh with that mike i'm just going to give you one last opportunity if you have a parting shot to, in a positive sense for you know a, a, a someone worried about security or you know someone worried about um risk uh, or the cio of a company that might be listening um what would you tell them I honestly believe there's tremendous upside to improve the state of security, whether it's overall or, or at your company or enterprise. And I think there's some very simple things you can do from, from starting to view risk as elastic, not static. And in working with the audit and compliance and other teams to implement strategies, not tactics to, to view it that way and then measure improvements. So then yeah. you get, you get the associated morale boost, as well as improved security and improved performance across the board. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that. So with that, um, Mike, uh, it's always a pleasure talking. Uh, I mean, the, the, the 40 minutes almost that we've been on uh, has gone by in a flash. Um, we should do this uh, whether we need to do a podcast or not, because uh, I certainly learn something every time we have a chance to, to talk. So thank you very much for spending the time with me today. Thanks for having me, and the, the feeling is definitely mutual. I appreciate that. Um, and so with that, folks, um, I want to thank uh, you for listening, and again, thank Mike Kale for joining me on this episode. And Mike, you know, before I wrap up with my own little soundbite, um, where can people find you if they want to follow you on Twitter or LinkedIn or something like that? Uh, so Twitter is probably the best or most engaging medium. Uh, M-D-K-A-I-L is my Twitter handle. Uh, and then if you're interested in what we're doing at Everest, it's at everest.org. Excellent. Appreciate it. And folks, um, uh, coming up as our next guest, we have Rebecca Wynn, who is uh, head of information security and the data protection officer for Matrix Medical Network, uh, you know, carrying on this line of discussion around um, security and IT. Uh, in fact, if I'd had one more uh, question to ask Mike, I would have said, does, does better security have to mean um, diminished customer satisfaction. And um, I'll just leave that out there hanging. But um, if you'd like to nominate anyone to join me in a future podcast, uh, email us at uh, podcast at idc-a.org. And until next time, I'm Mark Teeley, and you can find me on Twitter at mteeley10 or uh, Mark Teeley on LinkedIn. Thank you very much. And again, thanks, Mike.